Hi, hi, friends and neighbors, and thank you so much for hitting play on the 84th edition of Scoring at the Movies. We review sports films every other Thursday, and we will not offer apologies for spoiling those sports movies because we're warning you now. I'm the bloodthirsty stalker who's just a plain zero, Ryan Ellis. And here's the runner who wears the hell out of a World's Gym t-shirt and has a penchant for getting out of here, Chris DiGregorio. Chris oh. DiGregorio, I better say your name properly. Well, I mean... Chris Schwarzenegger. I've lost the lordship again, have I? That's gone by the We're not in the UK. That's fair enough. Yeah. Well, thank you, Ryan. I appreciate your enthusiasm for my wardrobe. And as much as I also appreciate you building that rocket cart tunnel to connect our two houses just to get here really fast, I got to tell you, it's a hair-raising adventure rocketing through there. The G-forces and those sharp hairpin turns for no good reason, they're death-defying. But I got here really quickly, so that was good. That's handy. You risk death. And also, no one can see this ride for the game show, so what's the point? Exactly. How many cameras are in that tunnel? I'm guessing zero. (laughs) So why bother doing any of that? Yeah, the one comment I would have, though, is when I popped out the other side and you just had the gang of Mad Max crew-looking dudes waiting for me. Oh, the dogs, yeah. That shepherded me into wherever you wanted me to be. I could have done without that. That was Mm -hmm. a little bit stressful. But otherwise... Three out of five stars. Okay. I thought you meant the dogs, but the guys, yeah. I do have some thugs as well. Hired goons. <laughs> but you got to have at least a few hired goons. It's just a requirement. We're moving soon, so the budget's going to change. We probably can't afford them much longer. Oh, so which goon has the least seniority in the bunch? Larry. They, oh, not Larry. Larry's great. Hmm, that's a shame. Well, and Curly are fine. Okay, well, before we talk about Running Man, let's open up that beer over there. I don't know oh, what it right says up. from this angle. Oh, the Scenic Root Tropical IPA. Hmm. Hmm. Very nice. If there's one thing that I think of when I think of Running Man, it's scenic and tropical. <laughs> Beautiful vistas, as far as the eye can see. Although I guess Arnie did wear Tries. quite the tropical t-shirt at least once. And he's right? trying to go to a tropical location early on. Tangential connection. There we go. There we have it. And I have got a combination of CC and Crown Royal and Diet Pepsi Ooh. because I am running out of both. So I'm mixing them. I'm going to be a little sauced in this one. I don't you, think so. You maverick. It's still really early in the day. This is only the second one. Okay, well, this is The Running Man, or El Sobra Viviente, as it was known in Mexico. I practiced that before. I think I said it right. It was released by TriStar on November 13th, 1987. It wasn't a flop, but it didn't set box office records either. The critical response was pretty good. Rotten Tomatoes, 64% of critics, so that is a fresh tomato. Not by much, but it is. Critical response for this was good, you say. 64%. <laughs> Surprising. The average was 5.6 out of 10, so the ones who reviewed it, some of them must have loved it to make that you know work out that yeah, way. Bump it up. 42 reviews in total on there, and 60% of audiences, so just barely scraping by a fresh tomato. It was 30th at the box office in 1987. Arnold's other movie that year, Predator, which is an excellent film. I've seen that so many times. This was 12th. And Over the Top, an arm wrestling movie with his rival at the time, and I guess now friend, Sly Stallone, was 68th. And if that's ever on Prime or something, we might as well cover it. Because I've only ever seen it once, and I don't remember anything about it except the very basics. And that would probably be fun to mock and talk about. And one more applauded, Richard Dawson, who of course is known from Family Feud, won a Saturn Award for Best Supporting Actor in this movie. And had he been nominated for a Best Supporting Actor Oscar, I could have seen that. I wouldn't have had a problem with that. I always thought he was even better in my memory than he actually is in this movie, but he is quite good. And people who knew him from his Family Feud days as a game show host said he was basically playing himself in this movie. I was a little young to watch much of Richard Dawson in his Feud days, or this movie, frankly. But yeah, he really does come across just as what he is in reality is a game show host. And he does it well, and he combines it with a nice air of apathy for human suffering. That's kind of a nice touch of this, but... Award-winning, that's a little surprising to me, although I don't even know what a Saturn Award is, so maybe I shouldn't be that surprised that he won something. (laughs) But yeah, everything you ever make is going to be influenced by the culture of the time, right? You're always going to have hints of that, at least. But there's few movies I can remember seeing that are more based in the time period in which they were made than Running Man. Everything about this movie 
oozes the 80s, even though it's meant to take place in 2017 and beyond. Mm -hmm. This is a movie of the 80s through and through and through, much like Predator is. It's almost like you took Arnie from Predator and plopped him in here and just continued the lively tradition of Arnold Schwarzenegger playing American Joe, in this case, Ben Richards. He certainly (laughs) sounds like a Ben Richards when Mm -hmm. he speaks. And just shooting out pithy comments willy-nilly in the most inappropriate circumstances possible. I kind of love it. I have to admit. I love Arnold movies. I own quite a few of them. And like I said, I've seen Predator especially so many times. And of course, the Terminator twosome. But this screenplay is dreadful. Oh, yeah. Partly because of the repetitiveness of his catchphrases. He does say, I'll be back. We saw this together. First time we've seen a movie together in quite a long time. So we talked over it and maybe missed some plot points. I don't think we missed much that was all that important. <laughs> but we certainly heard the dialogue enough to hear him say his big lines over and over again, including, let's get out of here, which I guess makes sense in this movie. But he says it a lot, just like he says, I'll be back. And he said that in Last Action Hero. And then the kid says, you always say that when he had said, you didn't know I was going to say that, did you? That was a terrible Arnold, wasn't it? I'm going to leave it to you because every time I even attempt an Arnold... I kind of morph from Australian like, into maybe a Richard Nixon, like, I am not a crook, to maybe Chewbacca or something. So, well, I'm not doing it well either. I'm going to leave it in your capable hands. But anyway, he does say these lines so many times, and it's such a lazy screenplay, written by Stephen D'Souza, who wrote the first two Diehards and Commando for Arnold a couple years before, which isn't a great dialogue movie or a great screenplay say. either. But I saw that on Disney Plus a while ago. It's fine. It holds up okay. I gotta say, I didn't really like this movie that much, even though it was fun to mock it with you. If I'd watched it by myself, I think I'd be ripping on it far more than I will today. Unquestionably, the screenplay is stupid, and the dialogue is pretty... Great concept, though. If you boil it down to its barest bones concept that I think Stephen King was trying to write about, Mm -hmm. I may have read the short story ages ago. I love this short story. It's a well-loved story, just generally speaking. I know that, and I only remember bits and pieces of it. My understanding of that story is it's much darker. It's nothing like this. It takes the most basic concept. Hey, the future is dystopian. The economy's collapsed. And basically the government controls the populace through this inundation of crappy reality TV that just happens to be a cruel game show that involves people, sometimes criminals, dying. So you take that basic concept and you just totally 1980s Hollywoodize it. We've talked about this before, too. When it comes to us talking about our respective thoughts on movies or what we rate them, I unabashedly bring bias to these things, too. And I try to highlight that where we can. But I am 100% biased towards this style of movie, even though I remembered very few details about it before I just happened to watch it like a year ago. And that's why I suggested we did it it on the podcast. There's just something so comforting about a stupid 80s action movie. The plot almost doesn't matter. It's basically Arnie gets in trouble... Arnie kicks ass until he's out of trouble. Everything that happens in between is almost inconsequential. And along the way, he has his catchphrases. He occasionally did have a few good one-liners in this one that I hadn't heard before. Like when he tore down that security camera and yelled at Richard Dawson on the other end and said something like, I hope you leave room after lunch because I'm going to punch you in the stomach and rip out your spine or something like that. Like <laughs> that was, it was okay. He has a few decent lines, but okay, what stupid set piece can they come up with to sort of put in Arnie's way so that he can destroy that set piece and then move on to the next step? And as long as it gives me some stupid action-y stuff involving Schwarzenegger, I'm kind of happy. I felt not dissimilar to what I felt after we watched Snatch. It was kind of fun. Okay. I'll give you the fun. I think part of the reason why I don't like this movie that much, at least this time, is because I read that story so long ago, but I remember it so well. And I looked at Wikipedia before we sat down about the book. And of course, Stephen King wrote it as Richard Bachman. He was trying to get away from being Stephen King. And it isn't really a horror story. And it's part of a set with an excellent short story called The Long Walk. Long Walk is great. And The Long Walk and Running Man have got similar themes. you got to keep going. And if you don't, you're going to die. And The Long Walk, I think, is really a play on the military, which you could argue this is too. But in the book, Ben Richards is a Mr. Ordinary. It's a maybe Kurt Russell type person, more like Patrick Swayze, who was in line for this at one point, or I think maybe Richard Dreyfus. I think they talked about him for Total Recall. That should have been an ordinary guy too, but I like Total Recall so much and don't think of that as a stupid movie that I can get past Arnold being in it. Arnold in almost everything doesn't make sense. Even the Terminator movies, why do you have this gigantic guy with this weird accent trying to blend in as an infiltration unit? It doesn't have to be a big dude. It can be a small person because it's a machine underneath. But in this one, I think I feel... Not offended, but bothered by a great story with an ordinary dude with this awesome ending, which I'll give away right now. 
I don't remember how he does it, but he commandeers a plane and he flies it into the, whatever they call it, the game's building in this yeah. made-up city. And as he's doing it, the last thing that Damon Killian, I don't think they call him that in the book, but the Damon Killian character sees is the double bird from Ben and his guts have been shot or stabbed or something and they're falling out. He's barely holding himself together, but just long enough to get revenge and kill them both and obviously cause a gigantic explosion. So it's this incredibly bleak ending and what is already a very bleak story because just like in the movie, it's a dystopian future. The world economy has collapsed. America's a police state. Wow. Hmm. That could never happen in reality. Except it might. And I don't think they really captured it, including casting as big a star as he was, a guy who is so badly cast for that story. And then when you have a screenplay that says dumb, that's why I think I just would give it maybe a five and a half out of ten to be generous, even though I was mildly entertained. And the last thing of the book I have to say is that it has one of the most vivid descriptions King's ever done. And King is such a visual writer, even though his movies or the movies they make of his books are often terrible. But there's a description that, that I was just wrapped to where he has got a woman. Maybe it's the Amber character, whatever they call her in the book. But whoever it is, he's got her captured. And he says that he has a bomb in her purse. So his hand is in her purse. There's nothing there. He's bluffing them. They could just kill him. The whole point is trying to kill him in the first place. He also goes for days in that. But the way it's described, I could picture that entire sequence. Mm -hmm. Not in this movie. And maybe they couldn't fit into the budget. I don't know. But that is one of the best things King's ever written. So that's the other reason why I think I feel let down by this. The ending, but especially that airport bluff with the bomb he doesn't even have. It's weird that they didn't do that, too, because there is a scene where there's an airport bluff mm -hmm. that involves Ben Richards putting his hand in the female accomplice's purse and bluffing his way through. There's a thing there that he doesn't actually have, but it just happens to be a badge instead of a bomb. Maybe there was a concern, even in the 80s, that they didn't want to portray a terrorism. bomb threat and terrorism in the airport. I guess the 80s was more like the Iran-Contra stuff, and there were some flight hijackings that went down in the 80s. So I kind of think that might be a consideration. Not this one, because like I said, if I read this, it was a dog's age ago, and I don't have any direct connection to it anymore. But certainly other properties that I've read before and seen translated to film, and it's a rarity that those movies actually match my internal, not necessarily vision, but it doesn't really seem to accurately portray what I hope to see on the screen from the source material, and I think it's hard to get past that. And maybe I'm giving, I probably am giving the screenwriter, the director, the studio way too much credit in saying this. I often wonder if they're even trying to reproduce the book in this movie. If, I don't think they are. I don't think they are either. I think they're trying to take just the most basic concept and then turn it into a stupid action movie. And I think they're not even considering the book itself at all in making the movie once they've got Ben Richards and this dystopian future that they have to work with. Everything else just seems to be made up of whole cloth, I think. Well, the director's not the obvious person to do this movie. Paul Michael Glazer. So he's Starsky from Starsky and Hutch. He did direct five films, and one of them I definitely want to cover probably next year, maybe during the Olympics in winter, if they have the Winter Olympics. We have the Summer Olympics this year, so I guess they will. But he directed The Cutting Edge. And also, I didn't like this so much. I saw this on Disney Plus recently. The Air Up There. So two actual sports films, and then this movie we're jamming into a sports category, <laughs> but it is called The Running Man, and this could be extreme games. There is a, maybe not a goalie actually so much, maybe just a padded up hockey player defenseman or something like that. But as for The Running Man title, this is the nutshell for this movie. He's more the casually jogging man. Doesn't really run that much in this movie. Probably runs more in Predator than he does in this. Maybe he was tired because Predator was earlier that summer, and he ran on that one and said, I can't run in this one too, Paul. I can only run so much in one year. But he's a very large man. He's got a lot of bulk to carry when he runs. And I think one of the scenes we did laugh at in this movie is post-airport security bluff when he gets caught in the fact that he's an imposter and all that. And he's being chased on the tarmac by security forces. I think this is true of basically all body types like his, where they're just huge and muscular. And you see them trying to run full out. And it just looks weird and awkward. They're not sprinters, right? They just don't have the body type for it. You see Arnie actually running, and he kind of looks like that slow jog, awkward flailing of limbs. And then it cuts away to like a distant shot of his stunt double, who's noticeably slimmer uh -huh. and much faster in his running. <laughs> and then it would just cut back and forth between them two or three times. And it was such a jarring cut because of the different running styles that at least somebody did some running in this. But I found that to be a very amusing editorial choice. Sven Ole Thorsen, who was always his stunt double, and I think he is in this movie, is actually in this movie. Mm -hmm. He's a security guard that Killian pisses off when he accuses him of doing steroids, and then the guy just walks away. And he looks a lot like Arnold, as he should, of course. 
He's a little bit taller, but you can let that go in a stunt double situation. But he also has a beard on in this film. And we got musing about, wait a minute, how does that work? Because Arnold doesn't have a beard for very much in the movie. But maybe they shot the scenes with him because he can't be Arnold's stunt double and then work against him. That's why they don't have a fight or anything. Maybe that's why he just walks away, as does Captain Freedom. We'll get to that in a minute. Yeah. But Sven Ulf Thorson, I think, was a stunt double, but maybe they did all his acting scenes first, then shaved the beard. Because Arnold also has a beard when he's in the prison camp for a little while. That's right. But it's interesting seeing his friend and stunt double actually acting this. And a fair amount. And also Franco Columbo, Columbo from Pumping Iron, his mm-hmm. friend from that, is in this movie in a very small role. Is he? When we see in it? I didn't recognize him. Former Mr. Universe. He plays 911 security officer number two. <laughs> okay. Does that he's on the phone then? Is it just a phone role for him? He's not even in the movie? I imagine he's probably a guy standing in the background or something okay. during that scene would be my guess. But yeah. Arnie's beard early in the movie looks just like a pasted on puberty beard of some kind. Oh, looks- you don't think it's even real hair? Maybe not. Arnie's, I don't think it is. His stunt double, however, looks perfectly natural and real. And I think you're right. I think they probably shot any scenes involving him fairly early on in the production and then everything else that he was needed as a stuntman later on. They probably asked him to shave and do it at the end. And I found it funny that the way that Killian, especially in the 80s, caused him to turn on Killian at the end. Because if he doesn't turn on Killian, it kind of ruins the ending of the movie, right? Mm -hmm. Because Arnie, in this movie anyway, is not meant to be commando or predator special forces dude he's supposed to be a police officer but kind of a normalish guy albeit one that's abnormally large <laughs> so presumably if this dude that is killing security officer sven sven or sven Olthorson, who's both a trained security personnel person and somehow bigger than arnie does stand up for his boss then that's game over Ben gets that far and loses, ultimately. Mm -hmm. And the movie ends in a really depressing but probably more realistic way. But the fact that Killian threw some jabs at Sven earlier in the movie about, what, did all those steroids kill your brain cells or something? And Sven's just holding that grudge the rest of the movie. I thought was kind of funny because, let's face it, Arnie has flat out said... He took a lot of steroids for a long time. So Sven probably did too, because he had to be as big as Arnold for all those years as a stunt double. So it's a little bit of ballsy directing, I think, on the part of Glazer in this one, because I'm sure Arnie's not terribly happy about hearing people rag on steroids about killing brain cells and stuff, right? If you take them with a doctor's prescription and with a doctor's care, it doesn't have to be a dangerous thing. There's a reason they invented them and prescribed them to people even now especially people who are recovering from injuries. Not that that's what Arnold and other people use them for usually, but a lot of people do for that reason. Oh, I agree with you. And we've touched on this, of course, in other podcasts and other sports, but that brings me to my next question for you. Do you think there's drug testing in Running Man? Are there (laughs) asterisks next to Ben Richards' records in the Running Man (laughs) Hall of Fame, for instance, because he definitely did steroids? There can't be because this is the most immoral game show of all time. <laughs> the true. audience may be the bigger problem. The audience are bloodthirsty. They always bet on the stalkers. They're stunned when Sub-Zero loses at first, which is weird because the movie seems to imply, and maybe we talked over some plot points, that these other guys won and were pardoned. But then they find the bodies. They get camera shots of that, which ends up playing out later. And by the way, today, we now know it wouldn't matter if you have your lie exposed that you already believe no you're wrong you're the one who's wrong i don't care if that proves to be a lie fake news fake news exactly but that's supposed to be a big reason why this show will be done plus the host just got murdered captain freedom walked away the other stalkers are all dead but you could probably keep the show game yeah you keep the show going probably without those people just get other guys ben doesn't want to be involved but you could redo the show except supposedly everyone has this moral thing where wait a minute i've been betting on the stalkers i've been glad they've been killing people like this Although, I don't know how those other people supposedly won, and then, according to the story, went off to live where they wanted to be, do what they want to do, and yet they actually were just in the basement of this place, killed. Why wouldn't you get rid of those bodies, except you need them for the story? (laughs) That's what I was wondering, too. Why keep your illicit bodies in the middle of the running man course, rotting away? (laughs) Maybe because they think that no one will ever possibly get an uplink to show this stuff, but that's dated, because that wouldn't matter in America now if it didn't fit someone's narrative. But we just mentioned him a few times, Captain Freedom, Jesse the Body Ventura, who was also in Predator this same year with Arnold. He's excellent in that movie. One of the great lines in any action movie ever, I ain't got time to bleed. <laughs> or even the line before that, he's dug in like an Alabama tick. <laughs> and this one doesn't have any great dialogue, but looks incredible, of course. And again, maybe we talked over exactly why. I guess maybe we didn't, though, because he comes in there, he's yelling at Killian about how there's honor the way we do things. And of course, he's a former 
stalker. He's not even actually a stalker. He's a show host himself yeah. now, too. For he's 10 retired. Years, he says. Right. And he's retired, but they want him to come back. And they do this digital face mapping thing where he supposedly murders Arnold. But he doesn't actually murder Ben Richards, Arnold's character. And I don't think it was even him that did that anyway. It's supposed to be that they both had face mapping because Arnold's nowhere near where this is supposed to have happened. He's with Mick Fleetwood and those guys. But I guess Captain Freedom just walks away. And we're talking to each other in the last few minutes as Arnold's about to kiss Maria Conchita Alonso. And I thought, this is the Total Recall ending. It actually looks almost exactly the same the way they shoot it. I thought, wait a minute. Is this going to be a tease? And then in comes Jesse Ventura. I'm going to beat you after all. But no, the movie's over. Now, maybe because of the reason why he retired from wrestling, is it a back problem or a neck problem or something that he couldn't get physical? Maybe that's what it was. But he was in Mexico shooting an action movie with Arnold months before. And he did get Predator. physical in that fake fight scene between Jesse Ventura and Arnold. And, and Jesse had to play that Jesse guy. Jesse had to act it out, right? Okay. So he did the physicality. Yeah, so what is going on there? I was as confused as you, and I was wondering if a similar character existed in the source book, and that's why they felt the need to put him in here, because he doesn't really serve any purpose whatsoever to the story. He's referenced periodically leading up to that penultimate Captain Freedom scene. He just tells off Killian about how this is garbage and showmanship, and this is supposed to be a game of honor. But then, yeah, he disappears. What was the point of all that? It just felt like... They brought in this guy for the role because they felt like he was a name or a face, but the only way that Ventura would play the role is if he doesn't become just another... Murderer? Yeah, just another murderer in the same way that Jim Brown does in this mm -hmm. one. He's just another stalker. I don't know. It was a very confusing choice all around. And unsatisfying. And also, yeah. Jesse Ventura was Captain Freedom's thing about honor. Okay, we don't know exactly what he did when he worked with these people because we only see the guys in the game show. We see clips of Captain Freedom, but we know what Jim Brown does. We know what the Sub-Zero guy does. Fire and ice. And what the other guys do too. the Dynamo dude. They have weapons. They have the advantage on all of the runners anyway. Right. Yes, they're going up against Arnold Schwarzenegger, but generally they're facing regular people. So this whole thing with honor, which is in Predator because he takes off all of his equipment, meaning the Predator does. Let's go mano a mano if the thing could speak. That's what it would be saying. You and me, no weapons, none of that kind of stuff. We're both basically naked as we fight at the very end of Predator, which is one of the reasons why that movie's so cool all the way through, including at the ending. Excellent ending in that film. It's also a very 80s action movie kind of theme, is that ultimately it boils down to this macho honor. But it does have that. Yes. And this one doesn't then. If you're going to say that there's a Weird, right? honor, well, you guys have weapons. You have flamethrowers, and you have all these hockey pads and stick that's a weapon, all that kind of stuff. And the His running light, men people, running men guys, suit. right, the light bright suit. It has to be light bright, literally a light bright thing yeah. as a costume. But the regular players have none of these things. There's no honor anyway. Yes, presumably Jesse Ventura being this famous stalker character partook in this utterly lopsided slaughter for a long time with no qualms. It's not terribly dissimilar to what we see with athletes, though. Athletes, I don't think it's uncommon for them to have a certain way about themselves, a way about playing the game, and then as soon as they retire, chastise and criticize active That's players true. for doing exactly what they did, because now they right. have this moral high ground. I don't think that's what the film's intending, don't get me wrong. I like that, though. I just think there must have been something to Jesse Ventura's casting because it's such a weird character. Like and him against Arnold one-on-one -on -one would have been really cool. It would have been good. Especially. But then he's also a little bigger than Arnold. Maybe Arnold kiboshed it. That could be too, because we know one thing about Arnold is he's got an ego, and he wasn't shy about making sure he got to do certain things in certain movies once he had the star power to do it. And you already referenced the catchphrases being repeated. I'm sure he had influence in that. No. But we also, or at least I laughed a few times, when he would just show up in a random place, pull out a cigar. I'm like, where mm -hmm. did the cigar come from? <laughs> But one of the recurring themes of Arnie's career is that he associates cigar smoking with manhood, right? Also in Predator. Yeah, all the time. When we first meet him, he's got a cigar in the helicopter. Yeah. But before we leave the topic, I do want to revisit your point of confusion around the running man game itself. The crowd is so shocked when Arnold kills the first stalker that we're meant to understand that that's probably never even happened before. But, then, but like, then again, people supposedly were pardoned, so that means they won the game. Exactly. So that's uh. the disconnect, right? So I think this movie would have benefited from something that I've certainly complained about before, and that's a little bit of a detailed explanation of what the game actually is. We talked about that in Invictus and other sports that aren't terribly well known in North America, that we were a little bit lost at times, right? 
if Killian had just pulled up a crappy 80s computer map mm-hmm. of the course and said, look, they have to get from here to here in one piece, and we'll have stalkers that try to intercept them along the way, and if they can run through and get to the end, then they win. We know that you somehow win it by getting to a point... Oh, so those other people supposedly avoided the stalkers. They didn't kill them. Well, that's exactly Obviously, they didn't kill them. But the reason it's super confusing to me is that throughout this movie, we see those roving gangs of Mad Max-dressed motorcycle riders herding Arnie and Maria Conchito Alonso and their compatriots into particular points of the course that appear to be dead ends. That scene that you referenced off the top with the weird killer goaltender with his razor-sharp goaltending stick, they herded them into this dead end that was essentially a hockey rink of death, and then the stalker confronted them. So if that happened to every one of the previous Running Man participants, how the heck do you get past the stalkers without without killing killing them them if you're in a dead end anyway? You know what? Just had a thought. Yeah. Maybe they changed the game over the years since Captain Freedom retired and Jim Brown was at his peak. Fireball is supposed to be one of their big guns. He's the cleanup hitter, I guess. Maybe the new Captain Freedom as far as he's the one for sure. Although it's so easy to get rid of him. Just yank, <laughs> pull his propane, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, the fuel line. The or fuel line, the gas line, thing, yeah. and he's done. Arnold actually does roast him and kill him. But he's useless without that fuel line. I guess you could fight a mano a mano. But maybe that's the thing. Maybe over the years, the game has been changed so that you really can't win it. You know what I'm thinking of right now? It's true, actually. I don't know if you watch this show. I don't know if many of our listeners do. It's a fairly new show, but Bev and I love trivia, so we've been watching it. The Chase, Ken Jennings, James Holtzauer. It's a British show from way back when. But it's here now. So Jennings, Holtzauer, Brad Rutter, and this British guy who we don't like very much. He just started doing the second season. If the chasers always beat the players, there would be a point you'd say, I love watching trivia games, but if the players never win, or once in a long while win, maybe I don't care as much. I'd still watch, and Bev would still watch because we love trivia, but I bet the average person wouldn't. Mm -hmm. And yet the funny thing is that Joe Average, we see them betting all the time, love the overdog. They love the stalkers. They want to see, and I guess that's the other not-so-much subtext, they want to see people getting bloodily killed. Except they don't want to see it be the stalkers get bloodily killed. Let's think about Roman gladiators, the gladiatorial contests, right? We saw that in Gladiator. People love seeing gore and violence, and I don't think that's really changed all that much in 2,000 years, but I doubt that they cared all that much who was on the receiving end, and that's one of the weird things about this movie, as you just said. They want to see all these poor underdogs die horrifically, but when it's the stalkers, the ones with all the advantages dying, they're gobsmacked. They're shocked, right? Which is really weird. If people don't really get past Sub-Zero then why are they betting money on anything? There should be no odds on that. Yeah, there should be. You should have to bet so much money that Sub-Zero wouldn't win. There'd be no point in betting. Exactly. Except in this case, of course, those who bet against him made a lot of money because Ben Richards did beat him. Yeah, as somebody that enjoys Vegas and sports betting and stuff like that, just as a concept, don't do it very much, but I enjoy reading about that. I had all kinds of questions about the betting board and what was going on there (laughs) for that reason exactly. I really like your theorizing about the game evolving over the years, because it's not really something I considered, but it makes a lot of sense. And I think one of the things we do have to touch on is where this movie did almost succeed in predicting where we've come in certain respects. I don't know about almost, apart from actually murdering people on the air, it's awfully close. Yeah, in some ways it's scarily close. Just like Network, that's the one thing that Sidney Lumet said didn't actually happen that we put in our movie back in 1976. He said, the one thing that hasn't actually been done is somebody's killed on the air. But it wouldn't shock me if one day that's what we get to. I question whether we're going to get there strictly because it would really take a total collapse of society because the Americans... We're heading that way. I know, but at the same time, the Americans are so Bible-thumpy in some ways that straight-up murder on TV, I feel like that's a bridge too far. Marjorie Taylor Greene is basically saying it about people that want to make you wear a mask. Yeah, I know, but that's political rhetoric more than anything else. But I do take the point, this is where we're at as far as weird reality TV and just the sort of dumbification of the masses through a total inundation of stuff 24-7. And maybe that's what's happened here. Maybe the show, when it first aired, was a much more pared-down, basic, and maybe even honorable version of what it was, and that's where Captain Freedom cut his teeth. And then in a constant drive to, for some reason, keep up the ratings, even though this is apparently the only thing that's broadcast (laughs) 24-7. We hear about that all the time. We're up nine points. We're up seven points. Why do you care? There's nothing else. This is it. It's being broadcast live to a giant big screen in the square. 
But yeah, maybe over the years they just evolved it to make it more radical, more cutting edge, more gritty. A lot of repeats though, because if Sub Zero usually kills the first person, I guess it's a guy anyway, that comes into his area, even if they have a 10, 15, 30 minute fight, pretty short show. Richard Dawson goes to somebody in the audience and says, Who's the first stalker going to be? Right? Da, 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 and, yeah, and they, da, da, pick, da, they pick a name. Da, 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 da. What if the runners got herded by this motorcycle gang into a certain area of the course, which we're told is like eight square blocks or something like that? Say they had been herded into the ice rink where we get Sub Zero fighting Schwarzenegger. And then Richard Dawson goes to an audience member, Who's the first stalker going to be? And he says, Dynamo! And then mm. Captain Lightbright comes out in his little motor car and he's in like an ice rink. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Right? <laughs> it feels like a horribly disjointed way to go about the show somehow. The thing that struck me about this movie is that it was very successful at predicting where popular culture was going to go or mass media was going to go. At one point, one of the rebel characters basically said, people aren't that interested in truth anymore. Implying exactly, I think, what we're seeing in that you can almost say or do anything you want and deny it, and pretty much half the people will believe you whether mm -hmm. it's true or not. Truth is a very malleable concept in 2021. I think this movie kind of predicted that. You can make arguments that the economy is nosediving towards this kind of thing, but it predicted things like digital imaging, right? Like yes. CGI characters. Mm -hmm. It predicted smart homes. At one point, Maria Conchita Alonso says, coffee, toast, and the things just start making it. Right. But... Oddly enough, even though it uses words like digital all the time, it still thinks we're going to use analog tape cassettes. Mm -hmm. It still thinks we're going to use clipboards to write notes. It still thinks we're going to use weird little tube TVs. It's prescient in some ways and then horribly short-sighted in others. And I don't really know why, because things like Laserdiscs, for example, existed in the 70s. They could have used that instead of cassettes as a major plot device. Right. I still have cassette tapes somewhere in this house, I think. Maybe I'll ditch them when we move. I don't know if we have the space for them anymore, because I'll never play them anymore. Although I think I also have a beatbox that will play tapes. I do still have that, in fact. But I'll never play them anymore. But what about your street rap career, Ryan? I mean, come on. You can't get rid of the beatbox <laughs> if you're going to be Jazzy Ryan. <laughs> now, in your collection of cassette tapes, do you have some that are labeled incriminating evidence one, two, and three? Kind of like apparently this news station has just in a drawer raw footage of massacre tape A kind of thing. You think they would get rid of that footage? That's one thing I didn't fully understand either is, okay, I guess maybe the idea is that they wanted to kill the people who were rioting over food. That's the irony is that these people just want food, but let's massacre them. So I guess the idea is we're going to lay this on Arnold. Maybe he, we're speculating, in the weeks or months before the events of the very beginning of the movie, was speaking out about something. He wanted more money. He was being a pain in the ass. He had a moral problem with other things they were doing. And then, you know what? We got to kill these people anyway. But let's make Ben Richards be the fall guy. But otherwise, if it isn't that, I don't really get why he was framed in the first place. In the myriad of problems that you could point out in this screenplay... I think that's maybe the worst thing, because if that's going to be your inciting incident that starts the whole thing, is Ben Richards being framed for this massacre. So he's a mass murderer, so everybody hates him that watches this show, because yeah. that's how he's marketed, because that's what he literally is, according to the system. According to, yeah, all the faked footage. But there's no implication at any point that this was any kind of conspiracy. What you just described, you're trying to come up with as a way to make sense of it, because the movie doesn't do it for you. They order him to fire. He says, I won't. They attack him in the helicopter, the other guys do. After he punches one guy out, some of the helicopters just nosedive when no one's really controlling it for a few seconds or whatever, a minute or so. Yeah. And then he's captured. Someone doesn't fall out of the helicopter in that fight. It doesn't yeah. make sense because for some reason there's four people in that helicopter too, right? And if you're just sort of an armed patrol in a helicopter, you don't really need four people in it because they just open fire using the Gatling guns that are attached to the copter. The kind of gun he uses in Terminator 2 that he's actually literally holding yeah. that mini the gun, chain gun. That's usually yeah. attached in a helicopter. Because yeah. no one can lift it apart from people like Arnold and Jesse Ventura, and, let alone use it. Yeah, I don't think any human being can actually use it in reality. It would just blow you off your feet. With Even the Arnold, I guess, right? Even Arnold, I would imagine. But the other three guys in the helicopter don't blink an eye. Arnold says, no, I'm the pilot. I'm not doing it. I'm not opening fire. They're innocent civilians, blah, blah, blah. And then the dispatcher basically says, take Richards out and execute the orders. That must be Franco Colombo that does that then. You know, that probably is. Now mm. you say it. So maybe he's just a voice. Maybe we don't ever see him. Mm, no shame. Yeah, because he's a jacked little man himself. <laughs> and I say little because I think he was like five foot seven or something relative to like Arnold's six three, six four. 
But those other three guys just don't bat an eye. They instantly are against Arnold. So to me, that implies that this police force of the future in this dystopian society is kind of like a corrupt, violent organization. Makes sense. Given current North American, at least, situations Mm -hmm. kind of makes sense. Ben Richards, as a guy that's in his 40s, I imagine, has probably been on the force for a while. It kind of implies that he's done some shady stuff himself. He's probably beat up some people, beat down some protesters. Definitely. Because a few, a few black guys have had their necks pushed into the <laughs> ground oh, and God. probably died. Yeah. But this is a bridge too far for him. But at the same time, the fact that he's part of this organization that's clearly just standing up for a very corrupt, violent, and heartless dystopian government, the fact that he's even part of that casts a shadow over his morality from the get-go, doesn't it? If James Cameron had been hired to do this movie, he might have made it a little bit longer than it is, and it maybe could have been a little longer to incorporate some of this stuff, and it would have given the movie more impact, more oomph. It would have meant more, and the screenplay in general would have been better anyway, but it would have had some of these elements maybe. Now, they don't have to do what we're saying, but it would have meant more. Because again, in the book, Ben's a regular guy who goes to the Running Man show so he can make money for his family. And as long as he lasts, he makes money. And if he does win, he makes, I think, a billion dollars or something like that. Just like in The Long Walk. If you win The Long Walk, somebody will. Whoever the last walker is gets whatever they want. And I want to see this be made into a movie one day. It'd be such a hard thing, though, because you have to have a hard R. Because you're murdering, I think it's 49 or, no, 99 young men. And the other thing is, you have to have so many locations. But at the end of that, it's supposed to be you get whatever you want. And the book of Running Man, you're supposed to get so much money anyway. But especially if you ended up lasting and yeah. in this the big deal seems to be killian saying hey you can be part of the show now you can be a stalker but ben's too high-minded for that so it does make you wonder where he goes after this although i guess his name has been cleared because of what amber put on the air with the actual footage of what happened that day and then showing that these other guys didn't get pardoned after all but then there are a lot of people out there that probably still say, that yeah, Ben Richards, I don't believe it. Exactly. And I think that's from a 2021 perspective, certainly, because we've seen over the last five plus years anyway, what's happened in news media. And it almost doesn't matter what gets portrayed. So does he have a future anyway? Exactly. And we saw in this movie fake footage being created and disseminated. So if the real stuff is put out there, How many people are going to believe that? How many people just say, oh, whatever, it's probably just fake and they're making it up and it's just status quo anyway. Does it even really matter? Why would they even change the basis for Ben Richards' character to begin with? Because frankly, him volunteering for this potentially deadly game show to benefit his family strikes me as a better basis for the movie than... Ben Richards, the cop who's been framed for some massacre for some reason, and then just gets thrown in there against his will, that feels like an inferior concept. So why did they change it to begin with? Because the public reason that they'd be betting against him, they're not so bloodthirsty, if you think about it. They want to see somebody who's accused, or supposedly actually guilty, of murdering people for no good reason, went to jail for it, and broke out. We haven't mentioned Yafat Koto or Kato and Marvin McIntyre yet, the two guys that break out of jail with him, and then end up in the game as well. But the public story that most people would probably believe, especially back in the 80s, well, this is set around now, but anyway, the movie's made in the 80s. Joe Average would want to see these three guys be killed because they're killers who also broke out of jail. So how do we really truly root for them? They're not the underdog. They're bad people. Mm. The stalkers may be murderers, but they were already well-liked by the audience, and now they're killing bad people. So maybe everyone's painted with this brush and eventually the viewers of the show the people bet on the show do get behind him after he kills a couple of the stalkers right but even the concept is a bit flawed if you think about from that standpoint you think about what they know regular people know they should hate ben richards they should want to see him get mowed down by any one of these stalkers especially the very first one that's true and maybe that gives a little bit of credence to their reaction when sub-zero the first stalker gets killed by ben richards and they're all dismayed maybe that's because we're meant to believe that the audience thinks ben richards this butcher of bakersfield they hate him so much that they're just upset that he survived and sub-zero died but the fact that we have a scene in this movie where they specifically digitally create some fake footage to portray ben richards being killed just leads me to believe that they still could have had what I think anyway is the better backstory for Ben Richards, right? The one in the book essentially. Mm -hmm. And then just as an introduction to him as a runner that gets broadcast in the show, just portray him in a really negative way somehow. 
And then that's why the audience turns against him and starts rooting for the stalkers. And then you continue on from where we were in the movie. Although then you lose the Maria Conchita Alonso character, I guess, mm-hmm. because Ben never meets her. We've already mentioned that the screenplay is probably not good and not worth dissecting at this point anyway. But but guy's written some good movies, though, and Stephen D'Souza, so maybe it's Glazer's fault, maybe it's the studio's fault. I bet you Schwarzenegger had a lot of influence into some of the choices here. I bet you Ventura did as well. It feels like a movie that is so full of weird choices, weird Mm -hmm. decisions, that it doesn't feel like a coherent vision in a lot of ways. So I can't imagine it's Glazer or D'Souza. I feel like it's studio, it's stars. Well, look at the international cast, though. Arnold's maybe a white guy, but he is, of course, obviously from Austria. Maria Conchita Alonso is, I think, Mexican, but definitely is Hispanic. Yeah, Ficado's a black guy. Jim Brown's a black guy. Legendary. Maybe still the greatest running back of all time, certainly on that list. And Professor Toru Tanaka plays Sub-Zero, so he's Asian. I think Japanese, maybe. Dweezil Zappa's in this. We mentioned Richard Dawson, who is British. And by the way, here's a nice tie-in, because Kurt Fuller, plays a TV guy, a TV technician. That's right. There's at least three movies he's been in. They're about television. He was in this. He was in Wayne's World as the Rob Lowe executive dude. Not executive, I guess, but he's working with the guys who had done Wayne's crappy basement show for the longest time. He's teaching them about the countdown. Five, four, three. And then he's also in autofocus as, I don't think it's Clink, but he's one of the Germans, I believe, in that when they show the footage of when Bob Crane mm-hmm. did Hogan's Heroes. And Richard Dawson was on Hogan's Heroes. Was he really? Mm-hmm. The original TV series. Yep. Oh. So he's best known for Family Feud and this, but also Hogan's Heroes. I didn't realize that Richard Dawson was an actor. I just always know him as a TV host. More of that, yes. But even with the Family Feud thing, he wasn't even doing it when this movie came out. I thought he did it well into the 90s. I think it was 85 was his last season. I remember seeing him. I still think of him as the Family Feud guy. And a lot of people have hosted that show now over the years. Obviously, Steve Harvey has done it. What's his name? Richard Carn. Richard Carn did it for a long time, the home improvement guy. But I always think of Dawson, yet he didn't do it for, well, maybe he did it for a while, but hadn't done it for a few years, even at this point when they did The Running Man. Another fun connection, Maria Conchita Alonso is in Predator 2, which Arnold didn't do. He's never been in any of the Predator sequels, which a lot of people thought, at some point he should be. He survived. His character survived. And you could go to him and say, Dutch, you beat this thing before in South America. Help us out now. But she's in the sequel and he's not. And that's a fun tie-in. And of course, Yafa Kato is in one of the other great sci-fi horror movies of all time, Alien. So, so many tie-ins with this cast. And that is an eclectic, interesting cast. Not necessarily the greatest actors. Jim Brown, Jesse Ventura aren't actors first. Although Jim Brown's been pretty good in a lot of things. And Ventura, again, outstanding in Predator. But it is a very eclectic and diverse cast. Yeah, especially for the 80s. It is a surprisingly diverse cast. And I would never have actually considered Schwarzenegger's character coming back in any subsequent Predator movies. Mostly because aside from Predator 2, which I do think is still a pretty good movie... All subsequent Predator movies have been so awful. <laughs> I never thought, man, I wish Arnie was in that because it still would have been awful. That's probably but true, yeah. I guess now they're trying to reboot the universe to say that 1980s version of Predator never happened and now they've crashed in 2020 and all that kind of stuff. Okay. Because they just did that recent reboot of Predator. Yeah, the Shane Black one. Plus, yeah. the whole series is Fox, which means Disney has it, which means they'll probably reboot it. Yeah, with Disney Plus now, they'll find some way to... Alien will come back at some point. Oh, yeah. You know it. the X-Men are eventually going to be in the MCU, so they're going to reboot a lot of things. Got to have content, maybe. Speaking again of that cast, Jim Brown, we've covered him three times. Can you remember the other two? I would not remember this. Well, one of them I maybe would have. The other one I forgot completely. This is the third, third Jim Brown sports movie. movie. If this is a sports movie, but third time we've covered him. They don't question the sportiness of this movie, Ryan. I will defend <laughs> it to my dying breath. Running is in the title. That is true. One's a football movie he was in. One's a basketball movie. Around the same time, too. About 10 years after this. I thought he was a father in draft day. Am I wrong about that? No, that's Terry Crews. Terry Crews is one thing. That's he right. was in Any okay. Given Sunday. Montezuma Monroe, I think Jim Brown? Jim Brown is, is Montezuma in, in Any Given Sunday. He's in that, and then he's also huh. in He Got Game. Well, one thing about this movie that's awfully compelling, too, is that it is something that inspired American Gladiators, the show that I watched a fair amount when I was younger. Did it legitimately inspire That's what American? it says online, and it makes sense that it would have, especially with the outfits. Look at Sub-Zero. And it also has Paula Abdul choreographing the dancing. That's right. And the next year, she choreographed Tim Robbins' little dance in Bull Durham, which is such a minor part of that movie. But I remember hearing about that, and it's in the credits. But in this, she's got to choreograph a lot of girls dancing early on in the film in one pretty big sequence. 
we haven't really talked about the 80s-fication of the future as portrayed in this movie, I guess. But that is one of the funny things about any movie that tries to portray the future, even if it's, I guess in this case, 30 years in the future. All they've done, basically, is take current 80s fads, add some metallic sheen to it, and that's it. And then that's your future. Because, like you said, there's an extended dance sequence of female dancers wearing stereotypical 1980s workout leotard jumpsuit type things and then just dancing to Paula Abdul choreography. Mm-hmm. I want to say it's two to three minutes long that we're pretty much watching <laughs> them. And I don't think you'd see that now. Yeah, I imagine you wouldn't see that in a movie now. It would either. be considered offensive. No, I mean in reality, in some kind of sporting oh. type thing or a game show or something. Well, I mean, we still have cheerleaders, Don't objectify right? women. You're right. Okay, yeah. How much longer will that continue? I think it'll continue. I just think we're going to see male cheerleaders into the mix. Pay these people, too. Yeah, and hopefully we pay them better than sports teams have historically. If you look at college sport, for all of the faults with compensation at the college level, they have male cheerleaders in those very competitive cheerleading squads, too. And I think that's just what we're going to see... More and more, rightfully so, across other things, including things like cheerleading, where you might not have quite the painfully, obviously, scantily clad cheerleaders, but they'll just be more of a dance troupe and less just eye candy, which is probably for the best. Yes. So the depiction of the sport, and I do have air quotes around that are actual quotes in my notes here, sport, it's made up, so it's hard to argue with its authenticity. We already talked about how he's more of a jogging man or jogging man, if you're Norwegian, (laughs) than a running man. So I think we can make some arguments that it's slightly mistitled. And we were also confused about how the whole thing worked at various points. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I think even though it's a fictionalized sport, and it's one that I've already said I enjoyed watching, the depiction might be a little shady. might be a little (laughs) iffy. As for scoring, well, Ben and Amber are about to when the movie ends. Yeah. But this is not a sexy film. Largely true. The one caveat that I would argue with you here on is the fact that when we meet Amber, she is for some reason working out on her workout bench at home, wearing a lingerie Mm -hmm. shift type of thing. The kind of outfit I can't imagine anyone in human history has ever worn to exercise. (laughs) So there is a brief moment of titillation, let's say. So we can score maybe just a little bit then. I forgot about that part. you got to be fast. Speed is essential. Real quick, yeah. (laughs) And go. You better run. And also Arnold rips the workout bench out of the floor to show how strong he is. Yeah, that also feels like an unnecessary but just quintessentially Arnie thing. Got to pander to him. If he can do that, then maybe he can last against these superhero type characters more than a regular guy could. Exactly. Aside from the fact that he, with one arm and without seemingly any effort at all, rips the workout bench, which is bolted into the Mm -hmm. floor, no less, rips the flooring up while Amber is lying on it and it doesn't seem to break a sweat. But the first time we actually meet Ben's character in prison anyway, he's just casually carrying around like an eight foot steel girder on his shoulder. And then he just casually tosses it aside Mm -hmm. as if it weighs nothing. I'm sure it really did. It was a styrofoam thing. This movie's about me showing off my muscles and my power. Arnold, you're the underdog. Yeah, but I have to look powerful and imposing. But you're the underdog. I don't care. (laughs) Do you think it was Arnold's choice or the costume department's choice to have him wear a world gym? His idea. Apparently he owned world's gym or at least owned a world's gym. Really? That's what I was reading online. Okay, well, there you go. And he worked for a good long while, too. Although the outfits they put them in, again, 80s, obviously 80s, but sleek enough, I guess. That yellowish, what is it, gray as well, coloring? Yeah, very 80s, but kind of sleek, futuristic 80s. Although we were laughing specifically about that scene where he is trying to go incognito as some sort of workman into this building where he thinks his brother's still living. He's wearing the tiniest, least useful hard hat in history, (laughs) a cut-off World's Gym sweater, some sort of slacks, and he's carrying a tiny little work pouch next to him. You blend, sir, as a contractor. (laughs) Just spot-on portrayal of a workman. Well, of course, he never blends in anything, but in Predator, that was fine. And in Terminator, Terminator 2, all those, doesn't actually make sense. But I always forgave those things. Total Recall really shouldn't be as huge as he is. Maybe you have to let that go a little bit because you want to see this guy who was, at this point, as big a box office star as there was, and it got even bigger when he did Total Recall, and especially T2, the biggest movie of 1991, and still an outstanding sci-fi action movie. But yes, he definitely wagged his 
<laughs> muscles around to get what he wanted at this point. And I don't think it really helped this movie. But I was relatively entertained. I, like I said earlier, would give it a five and a half out of ten. What about you? I'd like it more than you do. I'd give it more like a seven out of ten because it's a deeply flawed movie for all the reasons we talked about and coming away from it i cared as little about the outcome of the movie as i did about the outcome of snatch but i felt at least as entertained at the end of this movie as i felt when we watched snatch and i think we all agreed or all agreed we both agreed that we felt reasonably entertained by that part of that is 40 year old me ironically re-watching a 1980s action movie and enjoying it for the 1980s kitsch of it which is a big reason why we're doing this podcast at all because that's what yeah. you said to me three years ago we should do these movies that i saw when i was a kid and you saw when you were a kid ryan yeah. and this one would have been obviously for you on vhs or dvd because you were way too young to watch this the first time way too young that's not terribly out of line with what you cited off the top what did you say? The critics roughly were like a six and a half, like sixty-four yeah. percent or something. Respectable for a movie that isn't all that great and has terrible dialogue. I know people would say all oh, Arnold movies do. I don't think that's true though. You cited Predator. Mm-hmm. Predator doesn't have good dialogue either, but it is loaded with some fantastic one-liners. Those one-liners kind of fit the notion of a bunch of they're like, a superhero military unit. Yeah, they're, they're special forces. Very Delta. big star group of people you bring in when something really bad's gone down. So it makes sense that they would be like that. Exactly. If not good, at least it fits in some circumstances. Doesn't really fit here, but I still have a heck of a lot of fun okay. watching and ripping on. And who thought we'd cover two Arnold Schwarzenegger movies the last couple of years? One was, I guess, a sports movie because of the bodybuilding aspect, Pumping Iron, which is in our archives, and now The Running Man. Sports, yeah, maybe not. <laughs> it's in the title. <laughs> All right, well, we'll be back in two weeks, and we'll take advantage of our subscriptions to Disney Plus as we look at Adam Sandler and his blockbuster football comedy, The Water Boy. I don't remember a lot about The Waterboy, but what little I do remember, if I'm not mistaken, Adam Sandler is at least as ripped in that movie as Arnie was in this one. I'm going to guess more. Yeah. You know who's even more ripped than him? Henry Winkler. That's right. And Kathy Bates. Which was surprising, but still worked. They were all roided up. Yeah. Yeah. Worked for the roles. (laughs) So we're on Twitter. I'm at MovieFiend51. Chris is at ScoringAtMovies. You can always email us. Please tell them the email address. I always forget it. Scoring at the movies at gmail.com. At the movies, though. The's in there. Okay. Yeah, Twitter's scoring at movies. Because it won't let you have the the. That's yeah. right. No the, the Twitter. <laughs> and you can find all 84 episodes on Apple Podcast, Amazon, Stitcher, Spotify, Deezer. All those places. So many places. Look for us online and rate us. Review us. Tell us what you think. Send us messages and promote our show, please, by doing so. Because that's what that does in the end. <laughs> please promote our show. <laughs> that's how that happens if people do that kind of thing. That's true. So, take her easy, dude. <laughs> Let's get out of here, Chris. <laughs> yeah, there's one thing we know Arnie does. It's take her easy. He's known for take her easy. Get out of here.